6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Good Shabbos, good Shabbos. Good Shabbos, good Shabbos. Good Shabbos, good Shabbos. Good Shabbos, good Shabbos. Oh, good Shabbos, good Shabbos, good Shalom. 
שהחיים כל כך קשים, מה יהיה עוד יום עד שנה? אבל אני מחייך, לא דואג להמשך, כי יש לי, יש לי אמונה. לפעמים מרגישים שהחיים כל כך קשים, מה יהיה עוד יום עוד שנה? אבל אני מחייך, לא דואג להמשך, כי יש לי, יש לי אמונה. Amen. 
morning on this Erev Shabbos, and that, of course, Shoshanas Yaakov, as we get ready to uh, start the month of Adar, Rosh Chodesh is uh, tomorrow night, Sunday and Monday, a two-day Rosh Chodesh. So as we get set to uh, start uh, the month of Adar, that's Shoshanas Yaakov, of course, from the Purim service here at JM in the AM. Before that, the um, Ma'amin selection done by Yaakov Shweki. You heard Avremo with the Tcha'ani. Ivri Anochi, that's Benny Friedman. Lachadodi came from the Moshav band. Eitan Katz and Boi Vishalom and Regesh and Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. Friday on this February the 24th, day 28 in the month of Shvat, the year 5777. Tav and Zion. It's Erev Shabbos Parshish Mishpatim. Also Erev Shabbos Shkolim. Uh, two Torahs tomorrow. Candle lighting at 521 on this Erev Shabbos. 521, your official candle lighting time. 
Rosh Chodesh Adar is tomorrow night, which means when we bench Rosh Chodesh tomorrow, Rosh Chodesh Adar is Sunday and Monday, a two-day Rosh Chodesh again, that's Sunday and Monday. 54 degrees outside, with, yeah, 54, could you imagine a February day? 79% humidity, winds are southwest at 3 miles per hour. Partly cloudy today with a high temperature of 66, then tonight. Uh, partly cloudy with a uh, low temperature of 53. Tomorrow, a um, afternoon with some light rain on Shabbos with a high 58 degrees. My gosh, wouldn't trade these uh, February temperatures in for anything. Right now, 63 in Yerushalayim, 54 here in uh, New York City as we say good morning at JM and the AM. Weekly update coming up in hour number two. Malcolm Holine scheduled to join us. Rabbi Yudin, of course, with the Torah portion of the week, in this case, Parshish Mishpatim and Parshish Shkolem. And um, plenty more between now and 9 a.m., as you would suspect, on a very exciting Friday morning edition of JM in the AM.
que vai morrer Que bobo vai morrer Que vai morrer Que bobo vai morrer Que vai morrer Que bobo vai Shlomo Kalbach, Kiva Moed, Gershon Barobas with Kimat. You heard uh, Kiva Simcha done by the Rabbi Sons. Mordechai Shapiro, Kimalachav, Simcha Liner with Kanfei Nesharim in there, and Yaakov Shweki's Kamu off of the Kolot album for an Erev Shabbos. Friday morning in America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard and listen to sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at NachumSiegel.com. On the NachumSiegel Network and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Golly, it's all in the background. We'll do our news from Israel coming up. Be joining us here with our news on this Erev Shabbos Parshas Mishpatim, Erev Shabbos Shkalim. Candle lighting at 521. We'll bench Rosh Chodesh tomorrow. Rosh Chodesh Adar starts tomorrow night. It's a two-day Rosh Chodesh. Rosh Chodesh Adar Sunday and Monday. The temperatures in this area, amazing. 54 right now. We're going up to 66. Shabbos at 58. Boy, oh boy. <laughs> Hard to believe it is February in this area of this country. That is for sure. I welcome those of you tuned in around the world. Don't forget all of our great programming all weekend. Naomi Nachman with a brand new edition of the Table for Two program coming up at 9 o'clock this morning. 
10 o'clock for our Kedem presentation of the Arab Shabbos Music Mix. Live lunch with Mark Zamek presented by Kedem at 12 noon Eastern Time today. And plenty more coming up. Galitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday follows next. We say Boker Toe from JM and the AM. גלי צהל השעה שתיים, כאן שני בירנבוים עם מה שקורה עכשיו. במועצה לזכויות האדם של האו"ם מותחים ביקורת על העונש שהושת על אלאור עזריה ואומרים גזר הדין קל מדי. כתבנו נתנאל דרשן. דוברת נציבות זכויות האדם של האו"ם טענה בתדריך לכתבים כי עונש המאסר שנגזר על עזריה הוא קל באופן מוגזם ובלתי מקובל, והוסיפה כי הוא עשוי לערער את אמון האו"ם במערכת המשפט הישראלית. ביום שלישי השבוע גזר בית הדין הצבאי בקריה 18 חודשי מאסר על אלאור עזריה בגין הריגת מחבל מנוטרל שביצע פיגוע דקירה בחברון בשנה שעברה. שר התחבורה והמודיעין ישראל כץ אומר בנציבות זכויות האדם של האו"ם ממהרים לגנות את ישראל אבל מתעלמים מהמתרחש בסוריה. נציבות זכויות האדם של האו"ם מוטרדים מהעונש הקל שנגזר על החייל עזריה. את טבח האזרחים וההוצאה להורג בינויים של הצעירים בסוריה עוד לא גינו, פשוט מכוער. בינתיים בסוריה עשרות הרוגים, רובם המכריע אזרחים, בפיגוע שביצעו פעילי דאעש. כתבנו לענייני ערבים, ג'קי חוגי. מתאבד במכונית תופת התפוצץ בכפר סוסיאן באזור העיר חלב והרג 41 בני אדם. היעד לפיצוץ היה מטות שמשמשים את ארגון המורדים צבא סוריה החופשי, הנתמך בידי המערב. הפיצוץ הזה קורה יממה לאחר נסיגת דאעש מהעיר הסמוכה על באב, בתום קרבות קשים עם צבא טורקיה וארגוני מורדים. מרתון תל אביב הסתיים, אבל לא בלי נפגעים. 17 מבין 40 אלף המשתתפים פונו לקבלת טיפול רפואי בעקבות מכות חום, ביניהם אישה שמצבה מוגדר קשה. כתבנו איתמר קציר. האישה בת ה-45 פונתה לבית החולים איכילוב כשהיא מורדמת ומונשמת. חוץ ממנה פונו לבתי החולים גם נער בן 16 שנפגע בינוני עד קשה, חמישה שנפגעו בינוני ועוד עשרה במצב קל. כל הרחובות שנחסמו בעקבות המרתון נפתחו לתנועה. במערב הנגב רוכב אופניים בשנות החמישים לחייו נפצע קשה אחרי שנפל במסלולי פארק בארי. הוא פונה על ידי מסוק לאל בית החולים סורוקה בבאר שבע. מזג האוויר בסוף השבוע חם מהרגיל לעונה ולסיום בריו מקיצים על בוקר חגיגי פתיחת הקרנבל השנתי. צפוי בארבעת הימים הקרובים, כתבתנו קרן בן מרדכי. יותר ממיליון תיירים צפויים למלא את רחובות ריו בארבעת ימי הקרנבל. הם השתתפו במאות מסיבות רחוב ססגוניות ובשורה ארוכה של תהלוכות מריבות. הקרנבל יגיע לשיאו בליל שני עם תחרות הסמבה הגדולה בעולם. השנה החגיגות יערכו בצילה של מגפת הזיקה ובחסות אבטחה כבדה במיוחד. בעקבות נאומות אלימות על רקע המצב הכלכלי הרעוע בברזיל. אלה החדשות שעורכת נעמה שוחט בצוות הילה פרץ ויואב כהן.
Sick Dadya with Bowie Vishalom off of the uh, Sheer Volume Number Two CD. Uh, Ari Goldwag by request with Curry Bone. You heard Leif Tahar in there. Gamzu, that's brand new from their Volume Five. That's their single release before the uh, upcoming album. Friday morning on this Erev Shabbos Parshas Mishpatim. It's Erev Shabbos Shkalim. Candle lighting at five twenty-one. Rosh Chodesh Adar begins tomorrow night. It's a two-day Rosh Chodesh Sunday. And Monday, partly cloudy with a high of 66. These February temperatures are pretty amazing, I must say. Special shout-out to Rabbi Mordechai Besser, guest of honor at the MDS dinner coming up in April. Uh, Rabbi Besser tomorrow night presides over a, a wonderful father-son, Malava Malka. We will have representatives there, of course, at Manhattan Day School. Uh, grades 4 through 8, enjoy. Eitan Katz is the featured entertainer. And fathers, sons, uncles, brothers, grandfathers are all invited to participate. A big shout-out to our friends at MDS. A shout-out going out to the young Israel of East Brunswick. Looking forward to being with everybody tonight down in East Brunswick, New Jersey. And tomorrow night, uh, you're all welcome to attend the Ask Nachum event, <laughs> where I'm told I'll be asked whatever people want to ask me about anything. Uh, it's happening at the young Israel of East Brunswick at 8.30 tomorrow evening. Very much looking forward to Shabbos down in East Brunswick. And a big shout-out to the young Israel of East Brunswick from all of us here 
at JM in the AM. I remind you, we have quite a schedule coming up. Don't forget Sunday, uh, the mega the mega event for Nefesh Benefesh happens at John Jay College. I certainly hope we'll see everybody there. You can get information at nbn.org.il, nbn.org.il. We'll be there, audio and video, starting at 12 noon Eastern time with special guests and wonderful programming. On Sunday night, I look forward to greeting everybody at the Achiezer dinner out in the five towns. Monday night, as many of you know, it is the homecoming, they're calling it, which is pretty funny when you think about it, that it's called a homecoming. To celebrate Nefesh Benefesh's 15th anniversary, where it all began at the Boca Raton Synagogue, it'll be an armchair conversation with uh, Tony Gelbart and Rabbi Josh Fass, co-founders of Nefesh Benefesh. I'll be the moderator Monday night, 7 p.m. at the Boca Raton Synagogue. I look forward to seeing everybody down there in Florida. Join us. It should be a fabulous event. And then on Tuesday and Wednesday, we're going to stay down there and broadcast JM and the AM from Florida. Uh, Tuesday, some very prominent people from Israel will be joining us on the air between 6 and 9. And on Wednesday, so many prominent rabbis from North America who are descending on the Boca region of Florida are going to be joining us as well. So get ready for some really cool and uh, informative broadcasting uh, Tuesday and Wednesday from down in Florida. And then keep in mind that when we get back on Thursday, our Thursday live lunch is going to be taking place at the uh, Wesley Kosher Supermarket up in Muncie. Wesley Kosher Supermarket up in Muncie at 11 a.m. this coming Thursday for our Manashevitz presentation of our live lunch pre-Purim. We are very much looking forward to that, getting to Muncie on the Thursday of this coming week. So there is a lot happening, plenty going on, as you hear. And we thank you all for listening in and uh, continuing to support our efforts here at JM in the AM. More coming up. This one comes from... Benny Friedman.
is the name of that selection. Before that, Melech Malchei Malchim, done by Ohad. Aryeh Kunstler from the NCSY. Ben Sharap had the Menucha Vesimcha. You heard Rishamru. That was the Moshav band. Benny Friedman and Kol Yemei Chayai off of Fill the World with Light. Itzik Dadya in there with Bowie. <coughs> Excuse me, off of Sheer. Volume number two. Well, not only is Malcolm Holmline going to be joining us, Malcolm Holmline, <coughs> excuse me, in the weekly update coming up here at JM the AM, but I am now told that Malcolm Holmline is in Jerusalem. So he'll join us a few minutes from now, not only for the weekly update, but for the weekly update from the Holy City of Jerusalem. Very much looking forward to that. Always a uh, positive twist when uh, one of us is in the Holy Land during these conversations. Friday morning on this era of Shabbos, Parshish Mishpatim and Shkalim, candle lighting at 521 in the New York area. Rosh Chodesh Adar begins tomorrow night. It'll be Sunday and Monday. And I remind you, we have uh, amazing programming, to say the least all through the day, all through the weekend, and next week as well. How do you like that? Uh, a lot of amazing things going on. Uh, first of all, keep in mind that following JM the AM this morning, uh, we will have Naomi Nachman. She'll host, the, uh, she'll host a whole bunch of people, including Royal Wines' Adam Neustadter with the latest wines from Israel. Fagi Sprecher from the Kitchen Click will be on with great kitchen gadgets and Purim baking ideas and tools. And much, much more. So Adam Neustadter of Royal Wines, Fagy Sprecher of the Kitchen Click, there with Naomi on Table for Two starting at 9 a.m. And don't forget, Naomi has the brand new book, Perfect for Pesach. Check it out. It's pretty amazing. Uh, 10 o'clock, the Arab Shabbos Music Mix, sponsored by our friends at Kedem at 12 noon. It's uh, the Arab Shabbat Live Lunch, brought to you by our friends at Kedem, featuring Mark Zamek's great Jewish music on an Arab Shabbos. Tomorrow night, Saturday night, single with Avrami, featuring Rabbi Eliezer Zwickler, on the Torah portion. Headlines with host David Lichtenstein at 11 p.m. tomorrow night. Sunday, it's JM Sunday with Matis. And this Sunday, a little bit of a different schedule the rest of the day uh, because we'll be webcasting, broadcasting from the mega event for Nefesh Benefesh starting at 12 noon Eastern time. And we'll be live, live audio, live video starting at 12 noon Eastern time, 12 until 3 from the Nefesh Benefesh mega event, which is turning out to be a massive mega event. <laughs> They should rename it. Uh, that's going to be happening Sunday, 12 noon until 3 o'clock, and we are very much looking forward to that. Then I remind you that Monday night, if you're in Boca Raton, make sure to stop by Boca Raton Synagogue, the armchair discussion celebrating the 15th anniversary of Nefesh Benefesh with uh, Tony Gelbart, Rabbi Fass, and myself. will happen at the Boca Raton Synagogue, 7 p.m. on uh, Monday night. Then Tuesday morning and Wednesday morning, we broadcast live from BRS in Boca, 
And then we come back on Thursday. And as I said earlier, Thursday at 11 a.m., uh, we'll be doing a, a program, a live radio show from Wesley Kosher and Muncie for a Thursday live lunch brought to you by our friends at Manischewitz. So there's a lot happening, a lot going on. And we'll continue to update you as we continue with our programming. Malcolm Holmline will join us from Jerusalem, as I said. And plenty more happening on a Friday morning broadcast. Big shout-out to the Young Israel of East Brunswick. Looking forward to seeing everybody tonight. want to thank the rabbi. want to thank uh, Ralph Rosenbaum. want to thank everybody for making it possible for me to visit the Young Israel of East Brunswick tonight and tomorrow. And tomorrow night's free event that you can come to at the Young Israel of East Brunswick, which is called Ask Nachum. Yeah. Ask me whatever you want. And that's happening tomorrow night. I'm looking forward to that very, very much. Reminder that uh, this coming Sunday, from noon Eastern Time until Monday noon Eastern Time, is a Bnei Akiva matching fund that is going on. We'll speak more about this on Monday morning, but everybody should be aware of that. They also have a uh, Mishloch Manos on their website. If you go to BneiAkiva.org, you'll see that you can uh, send Mishloch Manos uh, through their service and uh, have that taken care of. All right, so um, a lot happening, a lot going on. We keep it, we suggest you keep it right here at the Nahum Siegel Network.
As we get ready to bench Rosh Chodesh tomorrow, Rosh Chodesh will begin tomorrow night. Rosh Chodesh Adar will be both Sunday and Monday. Just got a note from Matis on Sunday morning, JM Sunday. He'll feature a Baitani Prero, who's director of Yagilu, a fun and exciting wilderness summer camp for boys entering 6th through 12th grades. Uh, Matis will speak to the director of Yagilu on Sunday morning during JM Sunday. Make sure to be tuned in. As I said earlier, a lot of great uh, weekend programming, a lot of great uh, programming in general coming up from all of us at JM and the AM and the Nachum Siegel Network. Erev Shabbos Parshish Mishpatim, Erev Shabbos Shkolem with candlelighting at 521 in the New York area. I want to uh, remind you, I want to thank actually JewishWorldReview.com who continue to enthusiastically recommend our incredible network to their readers, hundreds of thousands of readers who take advantage of thousands of articles that are posted about Israel and the Jewish world. If you want to Go and print some out before Shabbos. Go to jewishworldreview.com. You'll have the run of the website. Lots of material there. And I thank them. And, of course, a big thank you to OnlySimchas.com. OnlySimchas.com, way beyond Simcha News at this point. They have an incredible news feed that continues to uh, inform all of us about incredible news. Many, Much of it good news from around the Jewish world. And they're utilizing a lot of our content for those purposes. And we greatly appreciate that. Go to OnlySimchas.com and enjoy. Malcolm Holmline, as I mentioned, is in Jerusalem, and he mentioned to me that over the last week or so, he has been in in addition to Jerusalem and Israel, he has been to uh, London, Morocco, Egypt, and Cyprus. I suspect it will be impossible to get through all the details during our conversation this morning, uh, but we will try our best in addition (laughs) to getting to as much of the news of the day and of the last couple of weeks as is humanly possible possible. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations and joins us for the weekly update on this Friday morning and he is live in Jerusalem. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Now, it's my pleasure to be back with you again. I missed you last week, I'm sorry, but it was just tactically impossible. Uh, no problem at all, and we appreciate it. And uh, I'll tell you, the, uh, the, the the trip sounds like it was amazing. Would love to do some of the details on it, and hopefully we'll get to some of them later on in this conversation. First, there are a couple of news items that people in our audience are very anxious to hear you comment about, and we'll start with this. Tell me what you think about the um, the uh, President Trump, Prime Minister Netanyahu encounter last week at the White House. Well, I think it was very important on a, on a number of grounds. One is the perception that it created that countered uh, some of the um, uh, sour notes that had been uh, um, characterized the relationship in recent years. And it has real ramifications because countries in the region react to it, some uh, with disappointment, some with glee, but uh, most at least take it into account in their strategic assessment because the strength of the U.S.-Israel relationship is a vital component of, uh, for Israel in its relationship with countries in the region. I think that they are, uh, are looking for America to re-engage. As one expert told me, America vanished without leaving uh, the sense that there was a vacuum here for many years. It elevated Israel's status in a sense, certainly against uh, Iran and, and the perceptions of, that Israel's essential role. And now with a close relationship 
appearing uh, apparent with uh, the, the administration. That helps, and it's an asset to Israel as well. Throughout the region, and you mentioned some of the countries that we visited, uh, this becomes very apparent. People are looking at the new administration with uh, anticipation, with some anxiety. They don't know what clearly to expect, and it's too early to really know until the administration has a chance to get uh, firm footing. The prime minister may visit again next month for the APAC conference and have a chance to meet the president, but clearly the smiling pictures, the messages of uh, cooperation and uh, mutual support were very important. And I don't mean to digress because I, I've got to ask you a couple of follow-ups about the White House meeting, but 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 you just mentioned in terms of countries that took notice of this. I would assume from the four countries that I mentioned that you visited, chief among them in that area was probably Egypt, who who, who paid closest attention to what was going on and tried to decipher, I would assume, uh, the situation now as the President of the United States seemed to elevate Israel to this position. Uh, you're right. I think it's a fair assumption. You know that Sisi, President Sisi, whom we met this past Sunday morning, uh, is really remarkable and uh, the way he talks about Israel and the relationship, the cooperation, fighting ISIS, fighting uh, Hamas and Gaza, shared agendas. Um, the, uh, for them, he was the first foreign leader that the president, uh, I think then president-elect Trump spoke to him. Um, and he uh, he's looking forward to coming. The foreign minister of Egypt is arriving this week in Washington, uh, and they look very much to the relationship with the United States to get support, to get uh, backing, uh, which they felt was lacking in with the previous administration for a variety of complex reasons. But uh, no less in Cyprus, which is uh, doesn't face the same challenges, but is looking very much. To, to the relationship, and because of the new situation in the Medi- in the Eastern Mediterranean and the the axis of Greece, Israel, and Cyprus, and the close cooperation that exists between them, something as you know we worked on for a long time together with our Greek American counterparts and others, and we have many many other countries. Uh, President of Bulgaria spoke at the opening of our conference, uh, along with President Rivlin. Uh, this is the part of the conference here in Israel, and they reaffirmed the commitments to this Mediterranean design that we have. Um, but the every country, every country in England, the only questions everybody asks is about the new president and the, Mr. Tillerson and others and what they're likely to do. The answer is we don't know, and and it's too early to to even speculate. Uh, we've seen some of the pronouncements. I think it's their intent, but they also have to deal with reality to implement them. Uh, all right, so the, back to the back to the encounter at the White House. Um, I, I wouldn't call it confusion, but I think there was different speculation about how the president and prime minister ended up in terms of the you know future negotiations for peace in the Middle East. Uh, did they, in fact? endorse or dance around the topic of a two-state solution uh did they speak more about you know some type of regional conference or regional initiative to really in 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 a way you know further globalize the whole issue of the israeli-palestinian conflict what did you come away with that that what would be the element that would be key to both of them in terms of future negotiations finding a partner to talk to uh, I think that, that there's a lot of speculation interpreting what people said or didn't say. 
The problem is nobody's defined what a two-state solution or one-state or three-state. Now people talk here about confederation. The real key is when the parties will sit down together, and I think that's what President Trump was trying to say, was that you want to talk one-state, two-state, whatever you want to do, but you guys have to decide. It has to come organically from the parties, and that is right. You can't impose a solution. You can't predetermine it. It has to come out of negotiation. I think uh, the prime minister was saying, look, don't box me in on these titles because everybody has a different interpretation. Now, if you ask 100 of your listeners to find two states, everyone will have a different definition. Right. And and that's why I think and, and think it's smart not to have the labels, not to get caught up on it, but instead to really focus on the substance and, and building, uh, I think, a smart approach, which is not going to be talked about because I don't think a boss will do it, but to change facts on the ground, to build economically, to invest, to something I know the Prime Minister has spoken about and has done, has actually implemented, uh, both in the Israeli armed sector as well as in uh, the Palestinian uh, uh, sector. The, the, uh, the, but the, to, to throw these slogans and make that a litmus test that somehow you have to say exactly the same words as somebody else, that's not the way you make policy. Right, but the practical application of some of it is what bothers or what concerns many of us. For instance, you know, when, when a regional conference or anything regional is proposed, you know, what would that look like? You know, based on what you just said, not only don't we know what two states would look like, we don't even know what a regional conference would look like. It's true. You don't know who would be in it, but it would look very different than it did in the past. And I think that the regional approach has some validity that you build... Support it is one way to overcome the obstacle that the Palestinian-Israeli track is not going to happen soon. Clearly, that doesn't appear Abbas is, is ready to do it. But you could have a regional approach that creates new circumstances that pushes the Palestinians to see that they have a lot to lose and a lot to gain. That Israel, knowing that the people of Israel, knowing that they will have this uh, different security relationship, different economic relationship with other countries in the region. That is not, it does not dictate what the outcome should be. We're talking now about creating a different climate, different atmosphere, and I will tell you from our travels, when we had a dinner in the Royal Palace in Morocco, glad kosher, with all the leadership of Morocco, including the whole cabinet, um, and that message was made public when Mr. Sisi, the president of Egypt, sent out a picture of our group meeting with him. When these are different changes, these are things that would not have happened in the past, uh, let alone the kind of dialogue that we have with them. So you, you change the atmosphere not to predetermine what you're talking about, which are the details of the outcome. Right let create the circumstances that enable the parties to come and sit down and talk. Yeah. I don't know what will come out of that. I understand. I, I hate to harp on this detail, but give me one more on this. Uh, I mean, there are some skeptics, some might call them analysts, who suspect that the prime minister actually threw out this idea, or threw in this idea of a regional conference for the express purpose of deflecting everybody away from this whole two-piece potential process, two-state two uh, potential process, two-state Solution: Is it possible that the prime minister is is the one responsible for suggesting this, just to take attention away from what might be the most practical approach? Actually, it was proposed long before, both by him, by uh, people in the Obama administration, and by and and we have been engaged in this kind of regional outreach. So 
I, I, don't, I don't know that it's deflection. I, I do think that he's trying to offer it as an alternative for right now because that, the other approach is, not, is just not feasible. Malcolm Holmline is with us from Jerusalem. It is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at NahumSiegel.com on the NahumSiegel Network and, of course, on our beloved NSN app. Um, what do you think of uh, brand-new National Security Advisor General H.R. McMaster? Well, I don't know him, but I do know uh, somebody very well who knows him, who I trust explicitly, and he told me of his personal encounter with him, and especially about the Holocaust Memorial that was built on a base where he was, uh, where the general was, and uh, his personal involvement, and uh, and expressed himself very strongly about never allowing it to happen again. So I think that's an optimistic uh, beginning. Uh, we'll have to see, obviously, when the real proof comes as we, they, they are tested on the issues. Right. But I think uh, it is a positive indication. With the, prior, uh, with the prior U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, it became evident, especially late in the Obama administration, that in fact in that position, and I would assume in most, if not all, am- ambassadorial positions, uh, they are representing the policy of the United States as dictated by the you know whoever the president of the United States is at that time, as dictated by the White House. Um, I'm sure you saw the speech by uh, Nikki Haley earlier in the week, ambassador to the U.N. Uh, if, if, in fact, what I just said is true, that it's a reflection of White House policy, one, one who is concerned about Israel could only be completely thrilled with her presentation, and that, in fact, President Trump is behind the effort to stop the unfairness to Israel at the U.N., Yes, but if you know in the last speech, the former ambassador, Samantha Power, made that point and spoke very strongly to it on various occasions about the bias issue. And even Mr. Guterres, the Secretary General, and Ban Ki-moon, in one of his last speeches, actually at a request, made a very strong statement about the bias against Israel at the United Nations. So it, it has been a... Um, an approach that both administrations, both things have condemned the, the uh, blatant bias, uh, and of course they opposed the UNESCO resolution and other things uh, in, the, in this past year. Uh, but I think nothing comes close to Ambassador Haley's very strong statement. And as you said, she's a representative of the U.S., she's not an independent agent. Maybe the actual text, the language comes from herself, but I'm sure that it had to be approved. Uh, by the State Department, but I think a lot of it, you, you, the sense you get is that it's coming from her heart, that it's something she really believes. Her record is such, although she's never visited Israel, she was the first to introduce the BDS legislation when she was a governor, and I think her her uh, absolute position sends the right message. Too often, the United Nations, you know, read, they all read between the lines, and if they think that something's just being done on a performative basis, then they say, well, you know, it's a domestic politics, they have to please the Jews, they're on a powerful group, etc. That's not the message they got from her. They got right. a message of clear determination. <laughs> I mean, there were people here commenting that she should run not only for President of the United States, but she should run for Prime Minister of Israel, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> so we were checking to see if she was born in America to make sure that she would be eligible, because uh, people are ready to start the campaign, but first they got to let this president uh, run his course and do his job, and that gives you people to have uh, in the future. And then the uh, UN was not happy with the uh, with the sentencing of Alora Zarya, uh, the Chevron shooting case that so many of us are familiar with. 
Um, the, the sentence was handed down, uh, it, obviously, it, for those who follow the Israeli media, a much more lenient punishment than ever, you know, than ever thought, right? I think, based on what people uh, uh, thought he would, he would receive in terms of the sentencing by the court. Um, it, and I don't know what feeling you're getting in Israel, uh, but it just seems, especially with the Prime Minister's public statement, that he feels he should be pardoned. I'd have to believe that public opinion, and even the media to an extent, has got to be on the side of Elor Azaria, because otherwise I can't imagine the Prime Minister would have even come out with a public statement like that. Are you getting a sense, being in Israel these last couple of weeks off and on, that there is tremendous sympathy toward him? Well, the polls, the polls do indicate that, and uh, uh, I think that the uh, certainly the Prime Minister's core support group would, would be even more overwhelmingly supportive of it. Uh, much of the media is supportive, not all. You know, we have there is a strong leftist media here. Some criticize the sentence, but you know, when you talk about the countries in the United Nations looking at this, first they see that a country that holds itself to account, mm-hmm. it doesn't need anybody from the outside. Second, about the length of the term, how many of them even would bring to trial somebody who was put in a similar circumstance? And the United States might. But how many of the countries that serve, and of the 190 countries, would there be five? Would there be three who would or do the same thing? Maybe a few Europeans? Maybe, maybe. But a, a soldier on active duty at reacting to circumstances, uh, um, I think the fact that, that Israel showed that it is a, it is a society that um, it holds itself to the highest standards, holds its soldiers who hold themselves to the highest standards. And I think many people, the reason you have a majority is that people look at it and say, look, here you have an H&O put in a very difficult circumstance, and even if he did not do proper procedures and follow and do what he should have done, we understand the circumstances that led to it. So I think the prime minister is reacting to that, and and the the hypocrisy of the world that the five hundred thousand people die in Syria, and you don't have a security council resolution, you have no condemnation for the thousands of Christians who are killed, for the people who are, are summarily um, uh, executed by uh, in so many countries, and yet there's no um, there's no condemnation, there's no. Uh, action by those governments against the soldiers responsible, and yet they sit in judgment of Israel? No, I don't buy it. It's unbelievable. Malcolm Honline from Jerusalem. All right, uh, let's get to one of the big topics of the last few days. That's, of course, anti-Semitism. Um, you've, actually, you've actually come out with a public statement asking for a conference and an establishment of a universal policy of zero tolerance when it comes to anti-Semitism. You also watched the vice president of the United States, go to a site this week of uh, and of anti-Semitic vandalism. Um, I, I I can't imagine that much has changed, as much as people want to conjecture that since January 20th, this country is much different. I, I can't imagine that in this area of anti-Semitic acts and general perception and feeling toward the Jewish community has changed that much in the last month. Uh, why do you think this has escalated, that this has become a headline and one that the vice president and president has had to address early on in the administration? So first of all, I think Mr. Pence, Vice President Pence, should be congratulated. He did it in a very sensitive, he's a very sincere man, I think, and has a long history of association <clears throat> with the Jewish community in Indiana and elsewhere. I thought his visit was very important. Send a very important message to the community. I think, second, 
and while we were uh, disappointed that, that the they didn't mention uh, anti-Semitism in some of the statements early on, and the president didn't make the references that we had wanted, he did subsequently, and I think that that's what is important now is to, to take that statement and see to it that it's acted upon. And the, uh, I mean, this idea that some are floating, that the president's an anti-Semite, this, I mean, this is ridiculous. It demeans the seriousness of what we are facing. And while many of them turn out to be hoaxes, these bomb threats, they do have an impact. They intimidate people from going to events, to attending, going to JCCs, to go, where, where it's, by the way, not only Jews. If you remember the shooting at the Kansas City JCC, where right. non-Jews were killed, uh, that, that the the impact, the psychological impact on our community. And I think Governor Cuomo should be congratulated for allocating the money to, to enhance security. I think the president's statement, I think that the, the DHS, the Homeland Security Department, and FBI have been working, I know with SCAN and I'm sure with others, uh, our security community network uh, organization, um, to enhance the security of the Jewish community. They're, I think people are frustrated that they've not been able to trace you know, who's responsible for these calls. But, you know, it doesn't take much to pick, get a phone book and start looking up JCCs or go online and be able to find the phone numbers and make a phone call knowing that it gets this kind of reaction. And I think the more escalated the reaction, the more those who perpetrate these acts probably are, are encouraged. So the, the increase, though, is not just from now. This has been a pattern that has been going on for a long time. I've tried to report it. Or, or that discussion in our discussions for years, giving the statistics, not because the numbers in themselves, you know, uh, are are as significant as seeing the trend, and that on campuses, and people dismiss it or, or you know, put it in a special category. No, it's a reflection of what's going on in society. It is true, I think, that the selection of least forces on the extreme left and on the extreme right. But I also think the BDS campaign did. I think other um, other events contributed to it, but a general rise in, in, um, in these forces uh, in a society, bigoted and, and, and racist forces uh, that have been unleashed, and, and uh, it, it requires everybody on a bipartisan basis. And I called for an international conference because I want to make it clear, one, this is not the Jews' problem. Jews are victims. This is society's problem. Mm. And it's the perpetrators who have to be held to account, and it's the general community that has to stand up on this issue. And I want to see European leaders and President Trump and others who stand for, for morality, who stand against anti-Semitism, to be the conveners. Israel should be involved, but it should not be Israel, nor the Jewish community. That we, What we did on Soviet Jewry in the 70s, 72 and 76, we had world conferences, it elevated the status, it mobilized reaction. People, it put it on the map. And I think the problem has been that anti-Semitism has been tolerated, that people feel, well, the Jews are secure, the Jews are this, the Jews are that. They're not. Yesterday, a young French boy with a yarmulke riding in the car with another young French uh, Jewish boy, a man, and they were forced off the road into a side street by a Middle Eastern looking people, that's the description of the press, and they beat him up, but they sawed off the finger of one of the guys. How brutal, how outrageous. And, and there has to be such a total condemnation and outrage about these, uh, these incidents once they're proven to be true and once they're all you know, researched, etc. But the, the, the zero-tolerance policy has to be put in place. You know, a lot of people talk about Islamophobia, but the increase in anti-Semitism is far greater in the number of incidents 
of attacks against Jews is greater than the attacks against Muslims. And I think if you fight anti-Semitism, you are, in fact, fighting all forms of bigotry. When, I mean, you, you mentioned to us that you were in London, Morocco, Egypt, Cyprus. I, I, I would assume that in at least some of those places, y- you felt uncomfortable uh, and maybe even felt you know, the, the anti- anti-Semitic attitude toward your group. Is that, is that accurate? Well, when we walked in Morocco on Shabbos with a group, we had 50 people. They were with yarmulkes. People would yell out, Shabbat Shalom, and those were not Jews. What about when Egypt? In Cyprus. Pardon me? What about Egypt? So uh, in Cyprus, the same Egypt, we were only there for a few hours. I would not say I would walk, and walk around with the Yamaka necessarily, but certainly the, the president, other members of the government, the, the respect that was shown our group, and not only in terms of the escorts and the public thing, but, but the fact that the prime minister went public with the uh, with the picture of these people with yarmulkes on and standing in in the thing, and of course got the reaction from the Muslim Brotherhood and the Israel bashers, uh, uh, quite a, a violent and vocal response. Um, in Israel, I feel safe walking with yarmulke in the street. I'm, gl- I'm, I'm glad to but, hear that. <laughs> but I do in Cyprus too, where pro-Israel feelings are very strong, and in fact, we visited <clears throat> a remarkable place, which. I did not know about before, and was a surprise. We were taken by, to a, um, a military area that there used to be a British uh, hospital in during the years when uh, Cyprus was used as a detention camp for Jews going to Palestine to Israel after World War II, and they were the British had a quota, so they would take them thousands, tens of thousands, to thousands of them to um, to Cyprus. During the years, and during that time, 2,200 Jewish babies were born. And the place we were taken was the site of the hospital where the babies were born. And they have there a a significant um, place, a a memorial to uh, to the to what took place there. In addition, they had a a display, like a little Quonset hut with display of pictures. And Jeff Wiesenfeld, who was on the trip, saw his mother's picture in there. It was amazing, and the uh, the Minister of Defense came himself. The Israeli ambassadors came. It, it, it was very moving, and it was a public ceremony, uh, you know, out in the open, not a hidden place. Uh, and frankly, our group could move freely. They even have a kosher restaurant now on Cyprus, and a minion there every day in, in uh, Larnaca. So. I would say in most of the places we felt safe. I would not say that I would walk with the Yarmulke in the street in London. I was going to ask you about that, the, ho- the home of the upcoming academic apartheid week. Oh, <laughs> right, and many of them. But uh, I must say, I think the Prime Minister and others are, have spoken out against it. They are moving. Uh, they've time to take in official acts to, to uh, get the local councils and uh, governmental bodies to, to work against it and to outlaw participation in the boycott movements against Israel. And, of course, I meant Israel Apartheid Week, for people to understand that that's that's what's going on now in in London. Um, And and this episode with the Israeli basketball team in Turkey, and, you know, you've described somewhat of a relationship with the leaders of Turkey. Uh, You know, I would think they would take a responsibility to protect them like they would any national team or any any team at all that would be visiting the country. Wouldn't that be basic protocol? I know know it happens. Absolutely. And, and they didn't act. It is. It's basic in every country, and but we've seen lapses in Turkish security on a number of occasions, and uh, I don't know that it's whether it's intentional or 
just the result of incompetence or ineptitude on the part of uh, on a higher level or lower level, it should not happen. We touched on this a couple of weeks ago. I don't know what update you can give us, but in terms of the ISIS, in terms of ISIS targeting uh, you know places in Israel at this point. Um, I, I think I think they essentially came out and admitted it, right? A couple of weeks ago, I don't think we had an actual admission when they, they had that rocket attack on a lot. But but now they're actually making it known to the world that they are targeting Israel. Right. They did. And and Israel, I think on last Saturday, sent drones that knocked out four guys uh, that ISIS admitted were ready to launch uh, rockets at Israel. Israel's response was very fast and very effective. They, were, they cannot allow these kind of breaches. I think Hamas even doesn't want, from what I understand, for the rockets to be fired. That it's, it's Islamist groups, the jihadist groups, who are doing it, who want to see an escalation of the battle. The Hamas wants this time to continue to dig tru- tunnels, right. to expand their their arsenal. They're back at the pre-war level of of missiles uh, that are more sophisticated. They they want to build. And they're not looking for a war now, but they're building the tunnels in Israel. They're preparing in many ways for it. So um, the the acknowledgement by ISIS, which is now no longer ISIS in Sinai, Islamic State in Sinai, it's now Islamic State in Egypt because it shows that their real target is um, is a broader one, and that is to take over Egypt. And there is a lot of resentment in Egypt about it because um, they get support and, and and are able to send their troops to be treated in Gaza, and there's weapons exchanges. There are other things that happen. We also know that they're getting a lot of weapons still from Libya, which are transferring through some of the tunnels and being smuggled from through Gaza into uh, the Sinai. Uh, so, um, And we see Iran trying to rebuild its relationship with Hamas, and in fact, uh, during this time, a new president, a new chairman of Hamas in Gaza was elected, a guy named Sinhar, who, who is a wholly owned subsidiary of Iran, according to many reports, and he's, has a close association with them. This, of course, raises the ire of others <laughs> in the region who, who see the growing, growing expansionism of Iran, which is successfully building its uh, Shiite crescent all the way to the border through through Syria on one side, through Iraq on the other, through Lebanon to the Mediterranean and to the Gaza. You know, it's interesting what you said early on in that answer because uh, I was wondering, you know, how Hamas tolerates essentially ISIS moving in on their territory, right? I mean, <laughs> I, I can I understand there being a resentment after all the time that they've spent essentially in control of that area, and now ISIS comes in and decides. There is resentment. Yeah, I'm saying. I'm saying. Yeah, and but, I, and but I there's wonder money the, at stake. There are assistance. There's assistance at stake. But I wonder, uh, I wonder if in the future that could work to our advantage or work to Israel's advantage if, if they decide to you know, have their own little civil war. Well, Turkey is trying to establish a presence there. Uh, Egypt has warmed up its relationship a little bit with Hamas, and that, I think, is because they have the common enemy of ISIS. ISIS and Hamas have a lot of shared interests. They do training. They bring each other money and weapons and things that go on. But I think you're touching on something that is being watched very carefully by experts, and that is the tensions in the relation, inevitable differences in goals, and the um, uh, what what the consequences, and with the foreign competing powers getting involved in this. Um, and finally, the uh, I mean, the, the prime minister of Israel uh, has had some interesting encounters this week. Leaders in Singapore, Australia, 
etc. The, the Australia one is especially uh, uh, piques our interest because it seems like we've had negative comments coming from Australia regarding Israel, it, even very recently, and then it seemed this week that things really seemed to go very well with the Prime Minister and Australian leadership. Could you tell us what's happening there? Yes, uh, um, the Prime Minister Turnbull and the Prime Minister Netanyahu have seen that very good meetings, good positive statements. The negative statements came from the Labour Party. And uh, <clears throat> like in England, we've heard also from the Labour Party, whereas Prime Minister May seems to be very much more supportive and positive. So you have to look at the source and you have to assess what it is exactly they're saying. Uh, overall, I think the trip is being described as a great success. And, the, um, and, you know, the Prime Minister is likely to go to China and Russia next month. Wow. And uh, it's not to get frequent flying miles, but I think <laughs> he, he is trying to uh, build the ties. And um, obviously with Russia playing such a critical role in Syria <clears throat> and the changes, which we could do a whole show on just alone about yeah. what is happening with the Syrian army, the rebel groups, what Iran's infiltration, the ISIS, the closeness to the Israel border, the changes in, in uh, Raqqa and other areas, as well as what's going on in Iraq. These are very complex long-term implications, grave implications for Israel. And, um, and so for for a lot of reasons, this is uh, the relationship with Russia is uh, very significant uh, in terms of Israel's ability to defend itself and defend that border and making clear what its red lines are. And with China, obviously, it's a critical uh, party. China was is number three trading partner with Israel. Uh, the reason I know that is last night we hosted a group of ambassadors from India, Russia, China, Japan, um, Germany, a few other countries who came and spoke to our group and engaged in dialogue. And the Chinese ambassador gave a very expansive presentation about the current and the anticipated exchanges on academic, economic, political levels, um, as did some of the others. And we had the Jordanian and the Egyptian ambassadors there as well. It's becoming a smaller and smaller world, isn't it, Mr. Honline? In many respects, but a more and more complex world. Oh, yes. And that's why people have to stay on top of the facts. Don't just buy into slogans. Don't buy into glib reports. Get the facts. Know what you're talking about. You know, uh, try to assess what the implications are, not just on a visceral reaction or emotional reaction, I should say, but on the basis of the facts. All right, and congratulations to Balada Makonin of Ethiopia, who won the uh, Tel Aviv Marathon today, over 40,000 runners from around the world. Always love to end with some good news, and I guess if Israel is still able to attract tens of thousands from Israel around the world for an event like that, then uh, that's a very positive sign, to say the least. Uh, as they... it, it is, and there are many other positive signs, too, that we didn't have time, but maybe uh, once we get back on the regular schedule, we'll be able to to talk about, uh, I mean, not only the message of the break of the isolation of Israel that people had predicted and some who still talk about, you know, that Israel's going to be alone and Israel's look at the reality on the ground of, of these uh, runners that the cities, the streets were blocked off this morning uh, because of it and people very joyous and not only is the weather gorgeous here today, but people are out going to beaches and parks and you see people of all kinds uh, visiting here, as we had this week, uh, delegations, including football players and others who came and really got to see Israel and, and appreciated everything that they saw. 
And the, this is the message we got to constantly give out is to, to look at some of the amazing miracles. I saw medical uh, innovations today that are simply mind-boggling. And, uh, and that is true in virtually every area today. No, it's like the Prime Minister said when he was in uh, in Washington or in the U.N. I forget already where the speech was. I think the U.N. You're, yeah, the U.N. He said... Uh, yeah, essentially, he said, you're going to need us, and you're going to want us down the road. You may as well start now. <laughs> that was basically his message. <laughs> and the isolation, thank God, seems to be eroding. Let's hope that continues. Malcolm Holmline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations from Jerusalem. And uh, we will reconvene the Please God next week. Malcolm, have a wonderful Shabbos, and enjoy the holy city. Thank you. Good Shabbos to everyone. There he is, Malcolm Holmline, Executive Vice Chair of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Remember, Malcolm has reminded us, I continue to remind everybody, Yom Yushalayim number 50 is coming up. It is uh, the 50th anniversary of reunification of Jerusalem on May the 24th. Information, Mizrahi.org slash YY50, Mizrahi.org slash YY50. We are anticipating an amazing and incredible week in Jerusalem that week in May. Um, just go ahead and, uh, and get your reservation, excuse me, get your reservations in and get ready to enjoy. Want to thank the young Israel of East Brunswick. Looking forward to my visit over Shabbat starting tonight and tomorrow night's uh, Ask Nachum session that'll be open to the public and free, uh, young Israel of East Brunswick, uh, for this coming weekend. I again thank Rabbi Unterman and the, uh, and Ralph Rosenbaum and everybody responsible for bringing me down there. Um, I remind you that, uh, oh, a big shout-out to Manhattan Day School, the father-son will have a Malka tomorrow night for uh, uncles and brothers and grandfathers and fathers and sons. Eitan Katz performing for the 4th through 8th grade. Uh, a big shout-out to Rabbi Besser, who's being honored April 2nd at the MDS dinner. Um, and then I remind you that Sunday will be at the mega event with Nefesh Benefesh, 12 noon Eastern time until 3 o'clock. You can watch everything and hear everything, NahumSingle.com and the NSN app. That'll be Nefesh Benefesh on Sunday. Sunday night, meet everybody at the Achiezer dinner out in the five towns. Looking forward to that. Monday, we'll be at Boca Raton Monday night, 7 p.m. at the Boca Raton Synagogue with Ari Fass and Tony Gelbart, the 15th anniversary celebration for Nefesh Benefesh. Looking forward to moderating that great discussion. Tuesday morning and Wednesday morning live from Boca with JM and the AM. And, of course, Thursday when we get back at 11 a.m. Thursday morning, Manischewitz brings us to Wesley Kosher up in Muncie, for a pre-Purim live lunch. So make sure you tuned in for all of this. Great programming today. Naomi Nachman is going to be on, of course, at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. She always has a great show, and today she will feature uh, Royal Wines' Adam Neustadter and Fagy Sprecher from the Kitchen Click with great kitchen gadgets and Purim baking ideas and tools. That's happening between 9 and 10, both audio and video. Um, uh, uh, Kedem presents our Arab Shabbos music mix right after that with our Kedem presentation of the Friday Live Lunch with Mark Zamek at 12 noon. That's going to be amazing as it always is. Saturday Night Siegel tomorrow night with Avrami featuring Rabbi Zwickler of West Orange, New Jersey with a Torah portion. Um, on Sunday, JM Sunday with Matis starts at 7 a.m. Eastern Time. This coming Sunday he'll speak with Araitani Priro, director of Yagilu, a fun and exciting wilderness summer camp for boys entering 6th through 12th grade. And we'll adjust the schedule on Sunday so we can preempt what needs to be preempted or moved and present our our show from Nefesh Benefesh Mega Event starting at 12 noon until 3 o'clock this coming Sunday, Eastern Time, live from the Nefesh Benefesh Mega Event. This time each and every Friday, every Erev Shabbos, with great pleasure we present Rabbi Benjamin Yudin. 
spiritual leader of congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Mishpatim. Parshas Mishpatim, according to the Chinuch, contains no less than 53 mitzvos. Before we get to Mishpatim, let me remind everybody that this Shabbos is the first of the four special Shabbatot that we have annually. This Shabbos is Parshas Shkolim. That means this Shabbos we take out two Sifrei Torah. From the first we read seven Aliyos in Mishpatim and from the second we read the first six Psukim of Parshas Kisisa. Very quickly, what's that all about? I'm going to tell you that the second Sefer Torah bespeaks an incredible sense of optimism. When we had a Beit Mikdash, there are two kinds of offerings. There are Karbanos offerings that an individual brings, and then there are offerings that are Karbanos Tzibor, that are communal offerings, meaning one offering is brought on behalf of the entire nation. Regarding these offerings, communal offerings, no individual could donate and give the money for that offering. Rather, the monies came from the entire nation. Each Jew was commanded to give a half a shekel. And these monies were used to purchase the communal offerings. Every morning a korban tamid. Every afternoon a korban tamid. Every Shabbos two additional offerings. The korban musaf. Every Rosh Chodesh a korban musaf. And Pesach, Shavuot, Sukkos, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur. All the korbanos musaf came from these monies. These monies had to be in by Chodesh Nisan. On the first of Adar, they would announce, get your shkalim ready, because they have to be brought to the base Hamigdash. Now, we don't yet have the third base Hamigdash, but this coming Sunday is Rosh Chodesh Adar. So what do we do? On the Shabbos before Adar, we read the Torah portion regarding the mitzvah of bringing and giving the half shekel so that we are not simply reminded as to that which happened in the past but Amir Tzashem you see the second Sefer Torah you look at the call of optimism that please God there's going to be that third base Amigdosh we will all at that time donate a Marxist HaShekel to the Beis HaMikdash and therefore it's not only Unishalma Purim Svasenu that which we can't do yet our reading about it should be like we did but it literally reminds us and tells us that there will be that third Beis HaMikdash and we all will be purchasing 
the communal offerings. Let's talk about the 53 mitzvos in Pashas Mishpatim. I have to tell you, I am very excited about this idea because every single morning as part of our Psuke de Zimra, as part of our literally section of praises to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, at the end of chapter 147, we say, Magid Varav Liyakov. God literally relates his word to Yaakov, Chukava Mishpatov Li Yisrael, his statutes and judgments to Israel, Loasachin Lochol Goy, he did not do so for any other nation, Umishpatim Bayidoum, such judgments they know not, Hallelujah. What's going on here? They have Mishpatim, right? If you don't stop at red lights, besides God forbid getting hurt, you're going to get a ticket. They have laws. You have to shovel the snow. You have to pay your taxes. What does it mean that mishpatim bal yidoum? I'd like to suggest a very exciting idea. Of course, society has laws. And we are very grateful for the society in which we live. The late Rav Moshe Feinstein, Seychat Tzadik Levracha, called America the Medina of Chesed, the kind uh, kingdom, uh, government. But listen carefully. In the third chapter of Avos, what are we told? Second Mishnah. Pray for the welfare of the government. Why? Because the people did not fear the government. Each person would swallow his fellow alive, meaning we would each take advantage of the next one. And therefore, the laws of society prevent one person from harming the next one. Live and let live, and not at the expense of the next individual. Or, to say it differently, our society, the laws are sur meirat. It keeps people from doing bad. In the realm of Torah, our laws bring us to a higher level called Asetov, namely that the laws, the very Mishpatim, transform our personality. I'll give you several exciting examples. Let's begin with the Gemara above Metziah. Lamid Beis, Amid Beis. And the Gemara is talking about two different mitzvos. There's a mitzvah of Prika and a mitzvah of Te'ina. An animal is overloaded and the lotus has shifted. The animal has fallen down. And you have to help the owner pick up the load, pick up the animal. That's called Prika. And then there's a second situation whereby the owner is trying to pick up the load in order to load the animal. Needless to say, the Talmud tells us that the mitzvah of Prika, of 
unloading comes before the mitzvah of te'ina. They have a choice to do one of these two. One of them includes tsar balechayim, which is, if I don't unload the load off the animal, there's pain to the animal. And the other one, we have not yet loaded, there's no pain to the animal. However, the Talmud says the following, the bottom of 32b. Ohave lifrok. It just so happens that the situation I have, I can help one of two people, and, oh my goodness, who is the one that needs the load unloaded, removed from the animal? My best friend. However, my sone, the one that I don't say gachadis to, the per- I can't use the H word of H-A-T-E, but the person that I don't like, he needs his animal loaded. So which one should come first? You know the answer. No, you don't. The Talmud says that you go to the sone. You go to the one that you don't yet like. Why? Because the Talmud says, Lakuf es Yitzro. In order that by going to your enemy, the one you don't like, this is going to subdue, it's going to help your evil inclination. By doing something good for someone you don't like, you get to like him. And it's going to bring about a closeness. He'll say thank you. You'll start talking to each other. Amazing. This is Jewish law because Jewish law aims at perfecting the character. Now watch. Let's move on. In this week's parsha, the Torah says that if a Jew comes to you and asks for a loan, you are to lend him money. Wonderful. Second of all, you're not to charge him interest. You're not to take advantage of his serious situation. And now, lo siya lo kenosha. You're not to be to him like an oppressor. What does that mean? If we did not decide how long the term of this loan is, the Talmud says, Stam shloshim yom, 30 days. So you have 30 days to pay, and during these 30 days, the lender is not permitted to call him every night. Don't forget, you owe me $1,000. Don't forget, you owe me $1,000. But listen to this. Not only can't he call and say, don't forget, but let's say it's a nice day, Shabbos afternoon. After your chones, you want to take a walk. You can walk on any street in town, but you can't walk on the street where the borrower lives. You want to know why? He's sitting outside on his porch. He's going to see you walking by on Shabbos. And he's going to say, aha, the reason why he's walking by my house on Shabbos is to remind me that I owe him the money. Amazing. You have to have such sensitivity for the one that you did the favor for. This is our Torah. Welcome to Judaism. You should be so proud thereof. The whole concept of Ashavas Aveda, that you find the lost object. So we don't say finders keepers and what? Losers weepers. But we say you've got to take the time and the effort and return it to your brother. My who? My what? Yes, the Torah creates through these laws a sense of true brotherhood one to the next. This week's parsha it begins with the Eved Ivri. Now listen carefully. What have we got? I have to tell you this is such a powerful law, so misunderstood. People say, why does the Torah begin with slavery? It does not. Listen carefully. We have unfortunately one Jew who stole from another. 
Okay, let's even see. He stole $50,000. And he runs to Atlantic City and he says, I'm going to win in the slot machines and the first $50,000 is going to go to the person whom I stole and the rest I'll be able to pay my bills. Unfortunately, his luck doesn't go that way. He loses all the $50,000. Now, in this country, the police come, they arrest him, they put him in jail. Now what? I can tell you, unfortunately, I have visited Jews in jail and I can tell you that there's almost none uh, rehabilitation in jail and so the person from whom you stole the money he doesn't get his money and you enter jail an amateur thief who are you with in jail you're only with professionals they'll say to you fool why'd you do it this way you should have done it differently and better what does the Torah law say Torah law says listen carefully that a Jew buys you what does that mean he buys you in quotation marks no he owns the right to your services. You don't do floors, you don't do windows. What do you do? Whatever you can do. You have a driver's license, you can drive a taxi. The fares and tips that you would get as a taxi driver go to the person who, quote, purchased you, your master with a small M. Now listen carefully now. And you live in his home. By living in his home, listen carefully, you're going to see how nicely he speaks to his wife, how nicely he speaks to his children. You will become rehabilitated through and by living in his home. And finally, you got to hear this. The Talmud says that if there's unexpected company and there's steak and hamburger for supper, so you would imagine that the master gets the steak and the evidivri this Hebrew servant, the one who's the thief, would get the hamburger? No. He gets the steak because we're out to maintain his dignity and to teach him he's important. We rehabilitate. And Rav Hirsch said so powerfully, why don't we have Evidivri today? Because Not because we don't have Ganavim. We don't have people willing to open their home. Last case, beginning of the sixth parak in Bavakama. If you cause damage to somebody, but it's indirect, listen carefully, you tell your neighbor, please, your dog is keeping me up at night. Dog keeps barking all night. One night, two nights, three nights, four nights. After a while, you lose it. You take a bone, you lace it with poison. You throw it over the fence at 6 o'clock at night. There are witnesses, 6 o'clock at night. 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, the dog is still barking. After midnight, shah, quiet. In the morning, the owner finds his dog, brings it to the vet, finds out the dog has been poisoned, brings you to Besden. Listen carefully. Because you did not shoot the dog and kill it directly, Besden will say that because it could have rained and very simply it could have washed away the poison. The dog didn't have to eat. Be they Adam, man to man, you're not guilty. However, listen carefully, because secular law does not have this. We have it. They look at the person who threw the bone over the fence and they say, man to man, you don't have to pay. We can't force you to pay. But, to satisfy your obligation to heaven, that you have to pay. Wow, how proud I am. How proud we should all be to be a Jew. Because mishpatim ba'yidu'um. Shabbat Shalom to all.
a.m. Friday morning on this Erev Shabbos with eighth day, of course. Thanks for tuning in. It's Erev Shabbos, Parshas Mishpatim, Erev Shabbos Shkolem. Excuse me. Candlelighting New York, 521. 521. Rosh Chodesh Adar begins tomorrow night. Rosh Chodesh will be Sunday and Monday. Lots going on in the community, of course. Plenty happening here. If you've been following along, there's so much going on. We'll be uh, live Sunday from the uh, mega event with Nefesh Benefesh. We're live Sunday at the mega event starting at 12 noon Eastern time until 3 o'clock. Um, you'll be able to see it and hear everything at uh, NahumSiegel.com. In addition to that, Sunday night, hope to see everybody at the Achiezer dinner. On Monday, we head down to Florida. Monday night is the uh, armchair discussion with Rabbi uh, Fass and Tony Gelbart on the 15th anniversary of Nefesh Benefesh, where it all started down in Boca Raton. So that should be really cool. Uh, that's happening Monday night. We broadcast on a Tuesday morning and Wednesday morning from Florida. And then we head back to the New York area. So that's our schedule. Hope you'll be with us the entire time. Don't forget the Sinai Dinner is Sunday night. Go to SinaiDinner.org for information and reservations. SinaiDinner.org. Don't forget that Rabbi Yosef Mendelevich is speaking on the topic of Against All Odds at Congregation of Tzedek, 7 p.m. this coming Sunday night. Congregation of Tzedek. OZNY.org. This coming Sunday night, the great Rabbi Yosef Mendelevich, who was a part of a band of Soviet Jews in the Leningrad hijack affair, who were so desperate to emigrate to Israel, they tried to steal a Russian airplane and fly it to freedom. The story of Rabbi Yosef Mendelevich is absolutely incredible. So uh, he'll be there at OF Tzedek, 7 o'clock on Sunday night. Tomorrow night, as part of my visit to Young Israel of East Brunswick, I'm looking forward to seeing everybody tonight. At the Young Israel of East Brunswick. Young, Young Israel of East Brunswick tomorrow night has something called Ask Nahum. You can ask me whatever you want about the last 35 years. And that's happening tomorrow night beginning at 8.30. A free event at the Young Israel of East Brunswick. Looking forward to seeing everybody there. Should be a lot of fun. Naomi Nachman coming up next at 9 a.m. With a brand new edition of uh, Table for Two. Followed by the Kedem presentation of the Arab Shabbos Music Mix. And the, and the Friday Live Lunch. Uh, conducted by um, uh, Mark Zamek, all brought to you by Kedem. And, uh, of course, uh, Avrami hosts Saturday Night Seagull tomorrow night, and Matis hosts JM Sunday on Sunday morning. And, uh, as we mentioned, Matis' guest Sunday will be um, Rabbi Tani Priro, director of Yagilu, a fun, exciting wilderness summer camp for boys entering 6th through 12th grades. Hey, want to wish a Mazel Tov to the Scheinfeld and Yudin families. Mazel Tov to Yechiel Scheinfeld. And to Abby Yudin on their engagement. Mazal tov from all of us here at JM in the AM. And yes, that means a, uh, a mazal tov to Rabbi Yudin and Mrs. Yudin as their uh, granddaughter is engaged. A, um, as their, as their, uh, as their granddaughter. Yeah, granddaughter is engaged. Yechiel Scheinfeld, the uh, son of uh, Miriam and Hillel Scheinfeld, who we know for a long, long time. Mazal tov to the Scheinfeld family. And um, Abby Yudin, daughter of Ruthie and Rabbi Gotch Yudin, who we know for a long, long time. Mazal tov to the Yudins, and of course, extended mazal tov to the entire Yudin family, Rabbi and Mrs. Yudin, and to the extended Scheinfeld family, Uncle Ben Sion, of course, and everybody else from all of us here at JM in the AM. So that is a wonderful piece of news, and amazing when you know two families who are celebrating a simcha together. Makes it extra cool, so to speak. Barry Weber, he's next at JM in the AM.
Track to one heart, Aguda Achas here at JM in the AM. Candlelighting New York 521. Erev Shabbos Parshas Mishpatim, Erev Shabbos Shkolim, Erev Shodesh is tomorrow night. It'll be a two day Erev Shodesh Sunday and Monday for Erev Shodesh Adar. It is time to say good Shabbos. Journeys at JM in the AM. Shining through the trees Another week's gone by 
in Israel. We are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners sponsor digital radio around the world in the web at NachumSiegel.com, on the NachumSiegel Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. I remind everybody that there is a, a wonderful programming all through the weekend, including today. Uh, coming up next, Naomi Nachman with a brand new edition of Table for Two, followed by the Kedem presentation of the Arab Shabbos music mix here. At NahumSiegel.com. Mark Zamek's live lunch will be included starting at 12 noon Eastern Time. Looking forward to visiting the Young Israel of East Brunswick later today and uh, seeing everybody tomorrow night as well in their program entitled Ask Nahum starting at 8.30. And don't forget, tomorrow night, Avrami hosts Saturday Night Siegel. 
on our network, Matis with JM Sunday, starting at 7 o'clock in the morning on Sunday. And uh, we will be live from the Nefesh B'Nefesh Mega Event Sunday, starting at 12 noon Eastern Time. Make sure to be tuned in via app, via web, via web radio, via telephone, whatever method you use to listen to us. Have a wonderful Shabbos, great weekend. Till next time, Nachum Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.